There we go. All right, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be with you guys. Um, so I preached my last sermon at the, at the Log Church at the Cross Lake E-Free Church on uh, September 13th. And so I haven't preached since then, so I warned the crew this morning, I may have a lot of pent-up sermons. <laughs> so I hope I'm not, we're not going to be here till 2. We won't um, this morning. And actually, Cindy and I were talking about this identity is just a a really interesting thing because of course when you're pastoring a church oftentimes you don't have a name you're just pastor and so uh, which is fine but what I've learned is that just continues even when you're not pastoring a local church so we were kind of having some fun with it the other day Cindy and I were out for a walk and she was uh, saying well maybe you'll be known as the uh, pastor formerly known as Fred so uh, then I could start wearing purple shirts and things like that. But um, at any rate, I want to introduce uh, my wife, my family. So my wife Cindy is here, and my daughter Emily, and my son Isaiah are here. And today, so we we have five children. Uh, Cindy and I do, and so uh, Emily is our youngest daughter. We had four girls, and then we had Isaiah, um, and. Uh, Actually, we thought we were done, believe it or not, and then Isaiah came along and helped us to realize that we weren't, and so uh, we're very, very proud of, of all our kids and that they're here. So um, even though I'm no longer pastoring the Log Church, um, we have uh, answered a call from the Lord. That's why I left the Log Church, is to pursue uh, a calling to uh, full-time mission work in Malawi, Africa, and so I want to start out talking about that a little bit this morning. We've been, we were here once uh, a couple months ago and shared a little bit about our calling and, and how this all uh, came about, and I just want to talk this morning uh, right at the beginning about a little bit of the nature of the work that we're going to be doing in Malawi. So Malawi, Africa, it is actually a country in sub-Saharan Africa. It's a little sliver of, the, of a country about the size of the state of Pennsylvania, Uh, But it is one of the most densely populated uh, nations in all of Africa. Um, When you you look at land mass and the population that's there. It's uh, it's located in very southeastern Africa. It's bordered by on the north by Tanzania. So it's a little bit. It's several countries south of Ethiopia, which you guys have a connection here uh, in this church. And, uh, but it's also uh, landlocked. It's bordered by Tanzania on the north, Mozambique on the east and the south, and Zambia on the west. So when you get a map, you can kind of look up this little country called uh, Malawi. And so that's uh, where Cindy and I and Isaiah are going to be moving to. We're going to be leaving on June 14th. Now we have our plane tickets. Uh, we have our visas, and now it's just to get a lot of the other uh, details and, and kind of life here in the U.S. events uh, taken care of before we leave, uh, one of which is our daughter Emily is graduating from high school, from Pequot uh, High School in the end of May, and so we're going to be having a big party for her as well. So, uh, but she will actually be staying here in the States, and uh, she's enrolled with uh, YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission, one of their de- uh, discipleship training schools uh, for the fall. And so that's what she's going to be uh, doing uh, while we are in uh, Africa. It just happens that the, the tickets, the plane tickets, 
the best deal was to book them on June 14th, which happens to be Cindy's and my wedding anniversary. So uh, on that day, we'll, we will have been married 30, 30 years. And uh, thank you. That's, actually, it's best to just applaud Cindy on that one. Um, but I told her, well, honey, I'm, I got a really great present for you for our anniversary, a one-way trip to Africa. So <laughs> I'm not sure that that would be welcome in some places. But I want to tell you a little bit about our ministry. So um, we're going to be partnering with a uh, ministry called Ancient Path. It's uh, in Africa. It's led by all Malawians. All, it's an all-African staff. There will be the only... Westerners, uh, the only Americans that will be on the ground working with this ministry uh, there. It's the, where we're working is in the capital city of Malawi called Lilongwe. It's a city of about a million people. It's the largest city in Malawi. It's the capital of Malawi. Uh, and we're going to be working in a particular area, like a suburb of the city called Kalieka, and that's where this, I wanted to show you this building. This is actually right across the street from the ministry center uh, where we uh, carry out our ministry. And the ministry right now consists of uh, about three days a week. There's an after-school program that ministers to about 200 children and their guardians uh, and their parents and their families. Uh, that does things like uh, we serve meals, we uh, do tutoring of the kids, we do uh, Bible teaching and training with the children, we provide for the older children in the program because the uh, children that come are all the way from preschool up through, I would say, what we would call middle school. So uh, older kids in the program is 7th, 8th grade in that range. And... Uh, so for the older children, there's also uh, arts training. So there's a choir, there's a drum group, um, there's a dance group as well. Uh, we also do vocational training for the, for the children. The most recent thing was the ministry bought a sewing machine and hired a tailor to come in and train some of the older children uh, skills so that they, can, uh, they also can become uh, tailors and be able to earn a living for themselves. There's other kind of vocational training that is happening. The most recent thing that's happened at our ministry location in, in Malawi, in Lilongwe, is uh, the starting of a preschool this past year. Uh, and I'll talk about education in a little bit, but we started a preschool, and then in addition to that, uh, we started a, um, a primary school. So it would, it's an elementary school for us. There they call it a primary school. Their high school they call secondary school. And so uh, right now we have grades one and two in an elementary school. We have plans for building a new uh, ministry building this year so that we can house uh, those uh, various programs. And so, uh, but this is the neighborhood. Uh, this is a typical house in the neighborhood we're working in. We've limited the program to minister to about 200 children because if we opened the doors and just had come whoever wanted to, we'd have literally thousands of children coming. Uh, a couple of years ago on our first short-term mission trip, um, we were the first day we were going to serve a meal, but there were no, there were no, gate, there were no uh, boundaries in the neighborhood. So it was just kind of like here, we're like, like you know, let's, uh, there weren't any gates, there wasn't any way to have any crowd control. And so we went thinking that we had been told that there were uh, about 120 children in the program. Well, we landed, and uh, Moses Mutombo, who's the, uh, the director of 
ancient path in Malawi, he told us, well, there's a few more than what we thought. Um, he says, and we said, well, how many are there in the program? We said about 200. Well, that first day when we started serving meals, I'm sure that we had over 400 children that came for food. And so uh, Malawi is a very impoverished country, one of the most impoverished countries in all of Africa. And so uh, hunger is just a daily reality that's there. And so the reason that we've, that we've limited the number of children that are in the program is because it's not just a feeding program. What we're wanting to do is to, is to speak into and train up in these, in these children a culture of the kingdom of God. Um, where the children are coming to know Jesus Christ, where they're coming to know His Word, and they're committing to live His Word out every day of their lives so that they can become change agents in their own families and communities. And so that's really the desire of, of the whole program. Uh, that's the focus of the, this. Everything we do is based on the centrality of the gospel and, so, and on the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what's taught through the school, that's what's done through the mentoring, the arts program, vocational training, everything is brought back to the gospel and to the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's kind of what we're doing. But I wanted to show you this because it just gives a nice, a nice illustration. You can go to that next picture. I'm just going to roll through uh, some of these. So I told you a little bit about the ministry that we have in, uh, in La Long Way. But one of the other reasons that we're going is that I've really sensed uh, a calling of the Lord to partner and to come alongside pastors in Malawi and to help to, to train and equip them for what they're doing. We, we actually heard a, in a missions class we took, we heard a statistic, and I, I can't remember the exact, exact, exact statistic, but it was something along the, line, the, uh, the lines of is that uh, there are a million pastors in Africa that have less than one hour of Bible training. Now, it's the actual that may not be the actual statistic, but it's close. It's in the ballpark. And what, uh, what mission specialists are saying these days, those that really know the field and the world and the needs of the world are saying that the real need in Africa today, it is for the gospel but it's for the equipping of pastors. Because what we found in Malawi is, is, the, gospel is the, the, the gospel is preached almost everywhere you go, but it isn't lived. And, and the real need is for people to, to see and experience what it is like to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christ life. What is it like to live that out every day? And what does that look like in your marriage, in your parenting, in your community? Yeah, in your job, how that gets carried out on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the real dilemmas is that while 80% of Malawi is, is Christian by name, there's probably only about 20% that we would call evangelical, Bible-believing uh, Christians. And there's really th uh, three elements in most churches. There's obviously evangelical Christianity, the Bible is preached, the essentials of the gospel are preached. But in addition to that, there's also uh, the, what happens is what's incorporated into most churches is still traditional African religious practices are still incorporated into most people's lives and even into some of the pa practices of pastors. And then the third thing that is a, a huge problem in all of Africa, but in Malawi as well, is the prevalence of the prosperity gospel. 
And how that gets lived out is you see, you see very large churches everywhere you go. You see these huge buildings, large meetings of people being gathered together, uh, evangelistic revival meetings happening all the time. But there's always this promise that if you will give this money, if you'll, if you'll, uh, if you'll bless your pastor or bless your church, then not only will they be blessed, but you'll be blessed actually financially and physically. Uh, and just an example of this is uh, uh, there was a pastor that was uh, being sued about a year ago. There's a news article about this in one of the Malawian papers. He was being sued because he had uh, been selling holy water in his church to his parishioners. So it was, I know, he was selling this water, and the promise was is if, you'll take this, if you'll take this holy water and if you'll anoint yourself with this water, you'll be healed from your diseases. And so, but you have to pay for it, of course. And so uh, uh, he was being sued because he had some parishioners who bought the holy water and they weren't healed. And so they were, I mean, there's crazy stuff like this that happens all the time in Malawi, but that's the prevalence of the prosperity gospel. And so as you can tell, with those three elements happening in most churches, it gets very confusing for the, for the average Malawian to know what does it really mean to follow Jesus Christ? What does it really mean to live according to the word of God and to live a, a gospel-centered life? What does that actually look like in our, in our daily life? And pastors, what we found when we were there is we'd travel in villages and talk with pastors. And this is a picture of a pastor's conference that I was able to lead in one of the villages outside of the capital city, is that these uh, pastors and church leaders are just hungering for training, hungering for the gospel. Uh, one of the problems that we have with training is that illiteracy is very high in Malawi. Not only illiteracy for English, but illiteracy for their native language, which is Chichewa. So that's why education is so important. That's why we're starting the, the school, the preschool and the elementary school, is to raise up a generation of people that can be literate in the gospel and can be able to share the gospel and proclaim the gospel and live the gospel in their daily lives. So that. Let's roll through a couple more pictures, and I don't think we'll go through all of them, but um, uh, this uh, lady's name is, uh, this is, uh, Cindy, help me out. Is this, this isn't Agnes. Okay, well, Cindy, it'll come to her. This is one of the staff at our ancient path site, and this is preparing uh, the, the weekly hot meal for the children. Yeah, this is Angela. I knew that, of course. And uh, she, what she is doing is she's uh, making uh, the staple of the Malawian, Bible, uh, the Malawian diet, which is called Ensima, N-S-I-M-A. And Ensima is a uh, mixture of maize, so cornmeal, and water. And they mix that together and they just keep mixing it. They, they uh, boil it with water and they just keep adding the maize until it makes a very firm mixture. So what it actually looks like on the plate is a is a very firm, large dumpling. Looks like a big, a big uh, a lump of mashed potatoes on your plate. But uh, it doesn't taste like mashed potatoes. Uh, mashed potatoes taste a lot better. And, uh, but this actually, the encima, it's the staple, it's like their bread. And it's firm, and so what you do is you eat that with, uh, with vegetables, you might have some chicken with it, with some gravy on a special occasion, and you take a piece of this, firm encima, and you dip it in the gravy and the vegetables, and you eat. That's your eating utensil as well. 
And so it, the, the enzyme actually doesn't have hardly any taste at all, but it takes on the taste of whatever you're eating it with. It's the staple of their diet. Uh, every family, if they don't have anything else to eat, they'll usually have enzyme at least once a day uh, for that. And so uh, Angela is, um, is just stirring up the enzyme in the kitchen uh, at the ancient path house. So let's roll through a couple more pictures and then we'll... Um, this is the, actually on the day that I took that picture of the house, this is one of the neighbor, uh, neighbor girls. This is a very common sight in Malawi to see uh, children taking care of their siblings uh, through the course of the day. You keep rolling. Um, uh, this, you see the big lump, the white lump. That's the enzyme. And then you have the vegetables in the, in the one um, pot there. And I think there are some, there's either... I can't remember if this was beef or chicken that they were eating, um, but um, this is what we're doing. Also in that picture, you might have noticed that she had a little name tag around her, um, around her neck, and that's very, very important because uh, children are very devalued uh, in the society as a whole. And so most of the children hardly ever uh, hear themselves being called by their name. And so one of the things that we did, um, their Iwe is Chichewa for you. And uh, the reason, one of the reasons for this is, number one, in the schools, the average student-teacher to ratio in the schools is 150 to 200 children per every teacher. Um, classrooms are very large. This is why illiteracy is so high, is because it really becomes almost impossible for children to learn in that size of a classroom. Um, average, in the average Malawian classroom, there's probably going to be one or maybe two textbooks per class. So for 200 children with maybe one or two textbooks for the whole class. And so the children are just left, they, each child has a, has a notebook. So they take the notes from what the teacher is saying and doing on the board. And then that's the basis on what they're studying and learning. And um, so those are some of the reasons we started the, the school. But you can also imagine if you're a teacher trying to corral 200 children in, in one room and it's just you, that probably what you're going to be doing is doing a lot of that, hey you, hey you, hey you. And that's what happens. But what ends up happening is the, the children grow up feeling very uh, devalued. And so one of the things we're doing in the uh, Ancient Path program is this last trip, we gave each of the children a name tag that was made by the Log Church and we presented each of these to the children. We had them come up, we put the name tag, their name tag on them, we called them by their name, we talked about how God knows each of us by name, that you are created in His image. He knows each of you by name and calls you by name. And then we prayed a blessing over each child as they were able to, to come up for that. So those are some of the things that we're doing there in, in Malawi. Um, uh, help me out with the name here too. Is this Kinchisi? Cindy? This is, this is one of the uh, preschool teachers and her uh, child that's here. And uh, what we found out over this last trip, she has a very difficult home life. Uh, in most Malawian homes, there's a lot of abuse that's going on. Um, most women in Malawi have been uh, either physically or sexually abused or both uh, in their lifetime. Um, it's just a part of the culture and the society. And so you can see that's another area where we really want to see gospel transformation happen. Um, but a wonderful, wonderful lady and a very good teacher as well. Uh, let's do a couple of more pictures. Um, 
That looks like a painting, but that's actually a picture that I took in uh, Malawi. So there's a nature reserve in southern Malawi we went and saw, and I showed that because that's the typical picture we think of when we might think of Africa. But what really has grabbed our hearts is the other pictures that we're showing you. Let's keep going on there. Of course, that's Cindy and I, um, and that's actually on the ancient path property in Malawi, um, getting ready for a, a program uh, that we hope to be a part of for the neighborhood. This is the choir. So the, the adult children, and, or the older children in the program uh, have formed a choir and they presented a program for the neighborhood. You'll see in the back it says uh, Ancient Path uh, Learning Academy. And, uh, uh, and so that's where the school is. You, somebody talked to me about where is there a fence around the property. That's the fence that's around the property. And you, before, like the first year we went, there was no fence. And so it was just crazy. It was chaos. So we put up the fence and the gate, and believe it or not, that works very well to help. One of the, one of the real heart-wrenching things, though, is that uh, when, we'll do, when we feed the kids or when we have a program, there's something happening in the ancient path compound that's there. Of course, we're limiting the program to 200 children. The whole perimeter of this fence on the property, on the, property, on the outside of fence, is crowded by children from the neighborhood that are wanting to get a peek in to see what is going on and want to be a part of the, they want to be a part of what's happening. And uh, so just to give you that idea. Some of the other things is just doing some basic uh, training, for, especially with the little children. We're teaching the kids to wash their hands before and after each meal. We're teaching them to, to, uh, go, you know, to go to the restroom and in the latrine because many of the homes don't have, most of the homes don't have indoor plumbing, indoor bathrooms, uh, kind of training them to, to put up houses and dig, uh, dig latrines in the back. But very often that's not happening with the children and so that adds to the prevalence of disease. In Malawi, the average lifespan is of, of a woman is 42 years and the average lifespan of a man is 44 years. That's because it ha Malawi has one of the highest rates of death uh, due to HIV and malaria. Uh, and so uh, that's why many of these children that you're seeing here, uh, these are the ancient, many of the ancient past children, the 200 children, a good majority of them are orphans. So their parents have died and they've been taken in by other family members. And so you can, you can uh, see that as well. Um, and uh, this is some of the younger children presenting a program for the community. Um, and that's probably good as far as the pictures go. But I wanted to give you a sense of the ministry, of what happens here. And so you've got the after-school program, you've got the education and, and arts training and vocational training that's going on. Uh, but in particular, it's using all of those means as a way to individually, child by child, Help them to understand and know the love of Jesus Christ. For them to come to know him personally as their, as their Lord, as their King. And to help to instill in them the, the values of the gospel, of the word of God, of the kingdom of God. So that they can grow up to be change agents in their families and in their, uh, and in their community. And so that's, that's one piece. And then another piece is, is the coming alongside and training and equipping and a mentoring of spiritual leaders. And so those, are, those really are, are two of the key areas. Cindy and I have some other visions of what we'd like to see happen in our ministry. We'd love to be able to take some of the older, if you could just keep it there for a second too, we'd love to be able to take some of the older children 
and be able to do some mentoring and equipping of them in our own home, providing a place for the, for the, the older kids to be able to learn what it's like to, to uh, essentially do life together as Christians and to see what that's like. Uh, we have a vision for a church, uh, a Christian community in this area of, of Lalongway, but a church that's really not like the other churches. It's not based on gathering a crowd. It's based on being together in community, studying the Word of God together, applying the Word of God together, and then living out the Word of God together in community. And so uh, uh, this is Moses Matumbo. Moses is the leader of Ancient Path of Malawi. He's the primary pastor that I'll be partnering with here. And uh, we can go on. I think there was another picture. Um, this is an amazing story. I, I, I might talk about this a little bit later. And then this is Blessings Matumbo. Blessings is Moses' brother. You love the names, don't you? Moses, and I mean, could you have a better name as a, as a pastor than Moses? I don't know. But this is a Blessings uh, Matumbo and his wife, uh, Tuella, and their daughter, Fatuma. This is the back end of the property. That actually is Isaiah in the yellow shirt uh, on our last trip. That's what the back part of the property looks like. And that's pretty much what most of the capital city looks like. It's dirt essentially. Um, so I wanted to give you a sense of, of what we're doing, and of course, we are so grateful for Providence partnering with us, and, and uh, whatever we can do to assist that, we would, we would love to do that. If you'd like to be a, on, a, on our mailing list, I'd love to get you our uh, monthly newsletter we're putting out. Uh, see me afterwards, and I'll give you one of my cards, and you can go ahead and send me your email address, and we can get that information to you that way. But especially what I wanted to do this morning is talk to you a little bit about some of the things I think God's been teaching us as we've been preparing. So um, in order to do that, we're going to be looking at the uh, encounter that Jesus had with the rich young man that came to him and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so if you would take your Bibles and you would turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, that would be just great. Okay, so let me just read this. I am reading this from the, from the ESV. Um, so if you're using a different translation, you'll notice the differences. So, but as Jesus was setting out on his Jesus is heading to uh, Jerusalem. Kind of the next big event we'll see in Jesus' life is the triumphal entry. But as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept for my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, this man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, 
how difficult it is, it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first so father i just pray that as we dig into this passage this morning that your holy spirit would speak to us clearly would teach us clearly from your word the things that you want us to know to see and to take to heart this morning we ask this all in jesus name amen The reason that I chose this passage uh, to talk with you about, and this is something I was sharing with Ken, is, is uh, <clears throat> I was talking about just some of the things I would want to share today, is that I think as a result of uh, Cindy's and my pursuit, you know, hearing, first of all, of this calling to Malawi in the pursuit, um, is we're really learning a lot more about perhaps what this passage means than we did before. And what we have found is it's one thing to say that you'd be willing to give up everything and to follow Christ wherever he would lead, and then when he actually asks you to go and pull up stakes and to do that, it's another thing. And so um, I want to talk about that a little bit. First of all, what happened for Cindy and I is really our hearts got broken in Africa. It's a, it's a level of poverty and a level of need that we'd never seen in our lives. And I can remember on one of our flights back from Malawi, I was just I was sitting on the plane and I just started weeping. Um, and Cindy leaned over and says, well, why are, you, why are you weeping? And I just I said, I don't know, I just can't get, I just can't get the faces out of my head. And you just see the, the deep needs that are there. And so that's kind of initially what happened is, is I think God connected our hearts to the, to the people of Malawi and to the needs that are there. And we just, we just got this compassionate connection um, that was there. And then the second thing that happened was I had this encounter driving to Brainerd where I was having a conversation with the Lord and I felt like he, he said to me, if you didn't have any limitations, if you could do whatever you want in this next season of your life, and there were no barriers, you know, financial, physical, geographical, etc., what would you do? And immediately the thought was, I want to go to Malawi and I want to equip and come alongside and, and work with pastors. That's what I would really want to do. And so it started out with our hearts getting connected and broken for, I believe, the things that break God's heart as well, is then we started to feel a call. I remember calling my dad when I had this realization that we were being called, that we we're going to be going to Malawi and and of course, my dad's 93, a bit on the negative side of things when we have conversations. But my dad's initial response was, well, but we need missionaries here. And of course, I couldn't argue with him, but all I could say is that, yeah, you're right. 
But it also comes down to calling. Where is God calling you to, to go and to do? And then I think the third thing is, is that as we started to come to grips with the calling that God was giving us, we started to learn that what God was calling us to do was not to fix everything and do everything, but it's just to take one step of obedience after another. And so, of course, the first step of obedience was resigning, submitting my resignation to our elders and saying, this is what I think God is, God is doing. Um, and then the second thing was to sell our house. And so we, we had to sell our house, and so we put that on the market, and the house sold. And then the next thing we had to do is start getting rid of our stuff because we think, can't take our stuff to Africa. So we started selling our belongings, deciding what we should keep for our kids and what we sh shouldn't. You know, you got all the, we got all these, I mean, massive number of things. It's ridiculous how much stuff we've had. But uh, trying to decide to do that. Um, stepping down, you know, just so many things in which I think God was showing us things we needed to release and let go of. And what I, and I'll talk about this a little bit with the, with the passage but God, what God is wanting to do with each of us is getting us to the place where he is the only thing that we have, and the only thing that we're depending on. I mean, that's the nature of the gospel. So many times, and even studying for this message here today, talking about uh, how many times that Jesus spoke things like this, um, you know, Mark 8, verses 34 to 30, 35, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, he says things like, like, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who is willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. Um, other passages in the scriptures, Luke 14, 26 to 27, chapter 9, verse 23, chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, Jesus is speaking about the cost of discipleship. And we have this one famous passage in there too where Jesus says, unless you, unless you, hate your father and mother and your children and your life and are willing to come and follow me. You cannot be my disciple. You remember there were individuals that came up, the guy that said, Lord, I want to come and follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, well, let, you, let the dead bury the dead. You just come and follow me. Um, all these kinds of statements that Jesus uh, that Jesus talks about, um, Matthew 16, 24, is that same, take up your cross and come and follow me. And what Jesus is getting to the, us to the place of is being able to say that we are willing and committed to letting go of everything else except Jesus Christ and following him. Um, that's why he told his disciples when he sent them out two by two, uh, really not to take anything with you, but to live in the life of trust. And so we have this story of this man, this uh, rich man, he comes to Jesus. We find, we're wondering at the beginning of the story, is this guy for real? Is he genuine? Because many people that came and asked Jesus questions weren't necessarily genuine. They might have been testing him. We find out later in the story that this man was genuine, but this gentleman, he comes up, comes up, he offers Jesus respect, he kneels before him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And first of all, Jesus gives glory to his Father, and he says, he says, there is no one who is good except for God. And then he says, the first thing you must do is, is obey his commands. And that's step one. 
If we talk about what does it mean to really live the surrendered life, the life in which Jesus has become our one and only, our, our greatest obsession, our greatest passion, if we were to obey the word of God in which he says um, that, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, if we're to have no other gods before us, it's this exclusivity where he is the only one that we are to worship and to acknowledge and to glorify. Um, that's what we're talking, that's where it all begins. I thought it was interesting in this passage when this man says, which command should I obey? Jesus didn't list the first three because I think he's assuming those. Um, but he asked them the other questions in, in terms of the, the commands. Are you doing these things? And astonishingly, the man says, yes. All those commands I have obeyed. What else should I do? But this is where it begins. This is where it began for Cindy and I, learning to, to follow one step of obedience after another. And that's what this man is being asked to do, is to examine his life and to say, are you living your life in such a way that as, as much as you are aware, the knowledge that you have, are you living in obedience to God? Are you obeying His commands? We remember that when Jesus gave the great commission to His disciples, He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, He says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. He also says this interesting, uh, I love this passage in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commands. And this is what Jesus does. He does it in, in uh, John 14, and He does it, does it uh, here in 1 John as He speaks about this connection between love and obedience. We want Jesus to be the the the. the the one and only, the one that we live for, if we want to be exclusive uh, followers of Jesus Christ and Him alone, willing to lay everything down for him, for him, it begins with examining ourselves and asking ourselves, are we walking and living in obedience to Him? And if the answer is no, then our immediate response, we know it's it, what it ought to be and what it ought to lead us to, is number one is realizing the kindness of God that we are in a, a time and in a season in which the Lord has not returned yet. The, the judgment seat of Christ, says we are not standing before that judgment seat yet. And there is now time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time for us to repent. And when the Holy Spirit confronts us of sin in our lives, our immediate response is repentance. To fall on our knees before Him and to confess our sins to the living God, and to repent and to, re and to turn from them. And so it begins with that obedience. And that, like I said, for Cindy and I, that's just been one step of a time, is, is, is saying, Lord, what is, what is this next step of obedience? And grant me the courage to be able to take it. And so this man says, well, I have obeyed all the commands. And then Jesus, uh, and he, he says, what more can I do? And Jesus says, well, if you do this one more thing, then you will, you will be perfect, complete. He says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And of course, we, we often in the church rationalize this. Well, God really wouldn't ask me to sell all that I have and give it to the poor. He just wants me to be willing to sell all I have and give it to the poor. Um, 
But sometimes I think he is wanting to know if we will do that. You know, we have all of these exclusive commands that we've talked about, about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him, dying to self, living to him, but all of that requires letting go of everything else. Letting go of all of our allegiances, our allegiances to work, our allegiances to family, our allegiances to this world, our allegiances to possessions, and be, being willing to surrender them all to Christ. And to say, Lord, I am willing. You know, the dichotomy here is that we see what was the response of this young man as he came to Jesus. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, for goodness sake, in one of the other gospel passages it says, and Jesus loved him. Before he asked this question to go and sell all he had and give it to the poor, and one of the other passages, it was, it was either Matthew or it was Luke, that, that said, said, and Jesus, Jesus loved him. That's how we know this was an authentic request. Jesus saw this man's heart and he saw he really does want to inherit eternal life. And so... Then Jesus asked him this question, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Unless we think that's an easy thing to do. I think I've learned through this process, I wouldn't have considered myself a rich man, but I've got a lot of stuff. It's hard to get rid of stuff. I mean, what do you do with all of it? Do you just load it all up in a couple of semis and take it to the junkyard and dump it there? Do you sell it? Do you give it away? Do you find places for it to go? It's a hard process to get rid of what you have. And evidently this man, well, he was attached to his possessions. And perhaps it would be a good thing if we sense that God was asking us to go sell all that we have and give it to the poor, because it might be a good reflection of where our hearts are in our willingness to sacrifice for him. That's something that each of us has to pray about. Of course, for us, we knew that we needed to get rid of our possessions because we can't, we can't take them with us. And if we leave them here, what's, what's going to happen to them? So, so Jesus asked the question and the man walks away disappointed. And our assumption is, we don't know what happens, but our assumption is, is that he walked away disappointed because he was either unwilling or felt unable to do what Jesus was asking him to do. But then the other thing is we have the disciples. And you know, uh, we have at the end of this passage where Jesus says, see, look how hard it is for a rich man to enter, um, to enter heaven, um, to inherit eternal life. Because to inherit eternal life, we have to be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of Christ. I mean, that's what we do in conversion, isn't it? Don't we bow our knee before him and say, Lord, you can have it all. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of grace and I'm in need of being covered with the blood of Jesus and receiving the righteousness of Christ because apart from you, Lord Jesus, I am a condemned man and I am looking forward to a Christless eternity, an eternity in conscious eternal punishment and hell separated from the grace and the love and the mercy and the glory of God. But God in his mercy sent his son to die for us on the cross so that if we would by faith receive all that He has done for us, we ourselves will become born again and be transferred from death to life. We would receive the righteousness of Christ. We would be have been declared right and holy before Him and adopted as His children and brought into His kingdom. 
but not brought in on our terms, but on His terms. And that's why when we come before the Lord, we come before Him just us alone, saying, Lord, You're everything I need. Here I am. I am Yours. It's total and complete dedication and commitment and sacrifice and laying of ourselves down and offering ourselves to God, us, us alone. It's ironic that this passage follows two other passages. One is, remember the, uh, in one of the other gospel passages that follows, remember the story of the, of the tax collector uh, and the Pharisee? And the two guys go into the temple with prey, and the one is just puffed up with pride in his heart, and yet the tax collector just beats his breast and says, Lord, I'm just unworthy. Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. And he, he pours himself out to God, understanding he's not worthy of God, and crying out to God for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. And that's the kind of heart condition that Jesus is after for us in our lives. And it's what he desired for this rich young man to experience in his own life as well. And, and so that's why he says, go and sell everything you have and then come follow me. And that's what's required of us as well. And I think that's the, prom that's the process that Cindy and I are going through as we prepare for this calling to Malawi. God is continually coming to us and saying, will you be willing to let go of this? Will you be willing to let go of this? Will you be willing to let go of this for my sake? And then finally, what does is, what is Jesus ask the man? He says, and then come and follow me. It's all listed in one phrase in the scriptures. I've divided it up. He says, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in their heaven. Then come and follow me. Because this is really the, the meat on the bones of discipleship. It's not just that we're to obey His commands, and it's not just that we're to be willing to let go of everything else. It's that we're willing to obey His commands and let everything else go for the sake of following Him. Read Philippians chapter 3, verses 7-11, through 11, and you'll hear Paul talk about the fact how he's, he's had so much in his life, but he willingly and gladly gives it all up for the sake of Christ. That everything else, everything good that could happen to me, everything that I could have or cling on to in this life is like rubbish compared to knowing Him. Really, that's the process that all disciples have to go through in order to follow Him and to know Him and to, to trust Him. And God is looking for people that will do this. And I really think, honestly, that's what God was asking of us, of Cindy and I, in this whole process, he's calling us and saying, will you be willing to obey? And will you be willing to let go of everything for the sake of pursuing this calling? I will tell you, there are days, probably most days, we look at one another and we're fairly overwhelmed. And oftentimes, we tell each other that we're just crazy for doing what we're doing. And yet, like I told our elders when I announced my resignation to him, he says, you know, because the question comes up, well, are you, are you afraid? I said, well, I'm, I'm more afraid of not following a call than I am of following a call. I'm more afraid of looking back in 10 or 15 or 20 years and saying I had an opportunity. God is asking to do, me to do something that took some risk, but I wasn't willing to do it. And... Uh, but what we're learning now is that requires daily letting go, daily releasing, 
And God is looking for a church that's willing to do that. God is looking for believers that are willing to obey Him, that are willing to let go of everything, and that are willing to have such an abandoned trust level in God and His ability to provide and His sufficiency that you're willing to walk and go wherever He's calling you to do. We become so accustomed to the conventional in American Christianity. And God is looking for people who are willing to stand up and say, I will go. I will be that one, God. I will lay down everything for your sake. That's what he's looking for. Well, that's the message that I felt that I had on my heart that I wanted to share with you this morning. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. Uh, and I pray that we will be that kind of people. Pray, keep praying for us, for Cindy and me and our kids as we kind of are in the last stages of this letting go process. We're excited about Malawi. We're not excited about the goodbyes. So pray for God's grace for us in the, in the midst of that. And I guess with that being said, shall we have you stand? And can I bless you with a, a benediction here this morning? So let me pray, and then we'll send you forth with the blessing. So, Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your promise that, Lord, when you ask us to lay everything down, it's because the glories that are to come are not worth even comparing to what we give up. Lord, that we, like Paul, would say, I consider it all rubbish compared the glories of knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection. Now, oh God, I pray that You will instill us with courage, instill us with passion, instill us with a desire for You, God, that we will be willing to obey. We'll be willing to let it all go. And we'll be willing to follow You no matter the cost for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, brothers and sisters in Christ, as you go from this place, may the love of God, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may the presence and power of His Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. Amen.